Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and today we are going to talk about nine tips that you can use to have more success with your Gen Pop clients. I've gotten a ton of feedback on this topic. I've gotten a ton of email messages, Instagram direct messages, people telling me we want a solo show that's just about training Gen Pop clients. And you guys know me, I'm a man of the people, so today I'm here to give it to you. Okay. Now, before we get into this week's show, though, I want to give you a little bit of feedback on the week that was, starting with the amazing Father's Day weekend that just occurred. Shout out to all the dads that listen to this show. Appreciate you. Appreciate my dad. I can tell you, you guys probably would not have this show if it weren't for the one and only Tom Robertson. That guy drove me all over God's creation to participate in sports so that sports were a big part of my life and Now, sports are still a big part of my life and something that I'm very passionate about. So uh, again, just shout out to all the dads that are doing their thing and and being good role models for their young people and somebody that they can look up to and respect and try and model themselves. My Sunday was awesome, as you can imagine. Went out to brunch at our favorite brunching spot here in Indianapolis. It's called Garden Table. The people are amazing. Somehow the food is, is possibly even better. It's just the best. So brunched my face off on Sunday. And if you've been following my pictures on the gram, there's been a lot of salads and a lot of lean eating here lately. It was not lean eating on Sunday. It was all of the gains. So we did that, went uh, with the kiddos to the arcade, went bowling. And then Kendall is really loving the softball thing here lately. So she has to go all back and hit some balls. So I pitched her some balls. We played catch, worked on grounders. It was just a really, really awesome Father's Day. Now, before Father's Day, we can rewind just a little bit. I actually spent a good chunk of last weekend in Louisville for one of Pat Rigsby's mastermind events. And I was thinking about this, and I think I've been a part of one of Pat's groups for at least seven or eight years now, maybe even longer. And I think that's just a testament to how much value I derive from these events. Pat has this amazing ability to help you kind of cut through the clutter, have this really sharp focus and clarity as to what you need to work on, what's going to help you get to the next level in your career. And so it's with a ton of excitement that I am going to announce that either in late August or early September of this year, I'm going to be releasing my complete coach certification. This is the big project I've been alluding to for weeks if not months now, and I feel like this is my thing. Like I have not been more excited or more positive about anything that I've ever done in the fitness industry other than maybe moving into hoops on a more full-time basis. And I got a really big goal here, and I'm just gonna put it out there now because I don't know if I can do it, I don't know how long it's gonna take, but I feel like it's my destiny, right? Or it's my legacy to help 10,000 trainers and coaches take their game to the next level with this course. So super, super excited about this. I mean, I can't tell you guys how much time and effort I put into this. Like literally I find myself sneaking time away. You know, the kids are watching a TV show. I got 20 minutes. I'm working on a PowerPoint or I'm driving to the barn in the morning and I'm rehearsing on my way there. I'm rehearsing on the way back. So just really excited about this project and really excited to make a a massive impact on our industry and hopefully take a ton of trainers and coaches up a notch with regards to their training game. So 
that's what I got going on this week. More of the same. We got our basketball guys in and out. Things are good there. You know, we got some of our NBA guys coming back. We got some guys tuning up, getting ready for summer league. So really excited about where they're at. The certification work, as I've already alluded to, like literally any free moment of my day right now is focused on that. And then in the interim, I'm just trying to keep everything else afloat. You know, I'm trying to keep this podcast as lit as possible, trying to make sure I drop one good video every single week and just trying to keep that content train rolling. So that is it for me this week. We're going to take a very short break and then we're going to talk about how to have more success with your Gen Pop clients. Years ago, I used to get asked the same question time and time again. If I can only purchase one of your products, Mike, that will make me a better trainer or coach, what would it be? And here's the part that really sucked. I flat out didn't have a great answer for them. Magnificent Mobility, Inside Out, Bulletproof Knees, they were all really solid products, but none of them were a perfect fit for the trainer or coach who wanted a thorough introduction to my methods. That's why I created Physical Preparation 101 to give that trainer or coach a product that would cover all of my basic training philosophy. This product is broken down into two specific themes, one focusing on program design and the second focusing on coaching. So whether you want to write consistently better training programs or find the exact exercise or cue to get your clients and athletes moving better, it's all covered in this product. If you're interested in learning more, simply go to physicalpreparation101.com to learn more. Again, that's physicalpreparation101.com. All right, my friend, you have asked, so I am going to deliver. People wanted a show that was all about gin pop training. And I'll be honest, I've been a little remiss and I've been a little hesitant to record this show simply because, you know, 99% of my time right now, you know, especially when you look at the last year, almost all my time has been devoted to training my athletes, specifically my basketball guys, but I still have a handful of soccer players that I work with kind of on the side. I've still got some football players. So if we're looking at relative and current experience, it's almost all on the athletic side. But then I started thinking about it and that doesn't negate the 19 years of experience, successes and failures that I've had working with the gen pop leading up to this point. And let's be honest, some of the gen pop people that I train still to this day are via online coaching. So you know, that brings on its own unique sets of challenges. But I think what's fun for me to share, and if you followed these solo shows, I love to talk about not only the successes that I've had, but the failures as well. Because sure, you can learn from your successes, but like if all you do is win, 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 which sounds amazing. That's why I did a song about it. But if all you do is win and you never lose or you never make mistakes, I think it really hampers or slows down your learning curve. And ultimately, it's those failures and it's those mistakes that give you the massive bumps in your performance that we all want to see. So this show is going to cover a lot of the stories from the successes and the failures that I've had. And I hope it's going to give you some insights as to what you can do right now today to start having more success with your Gen Pop clients. So buckle up because here we go. Let's start with number one. Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. And I want to start with an example because when I was younger, I really had zero perspective when it came to training my gym pop clients. Just no perspective on life as a whole. And if I think back, I mean, literally my entire life 
revolved around training. Either it was my own training when I was into powerlifting and these 90 minute to two hour workouts that I was going through three to four times a week. And if it wasn't me training, I was focused on the training that I was doing, you know, in the clinic, in the gym, with my clients, with my athletes. So it was really hard for me to have any kind of empathy, really, as to why somebody couldn't get their workout in. I just couldn't fathom. How can you not get your workout in? How do you not have enough time? (laughs) And, you know, I can laugh at that now because my life has changed. My experiences have changed since then. And so when you're young, it's really hard to imagine that someone else has other stuff going on outside the gym, especially as a trainer or coach, because everything that you do revolves around the gym. It's your training. It's your athlete's training. It's the training of your clients. It doesn't matter. Like everything that you do is in the gym. And so it's hard for you to imagine that other people have this whole other magical world outside of the gym and it's called a life, (laughs) you know? So it's hard for us to imagine that. So we have to stop and we have to pause and we have to consider, you know, why aren't they showing up for their workouts? Why do they come in sometimes and go through the motions and not work as hard as they should? You know, why can't they get their ass in the kitchen and meal prep on Sunday? Like these are the questions that we're asking ourselves, but we need to pause. And this is where putting yourself in their shoes is so critical. Imagine that 35-year-old mom. You know, she's got two kids at home. Maybe she's got a part-time job. I mean, just imagine, like, look at her schedule book sometime and see all the stuff that she has going on. Or imagine a 45-year-old dad, three kids, works a full-time job. Look at that dude's schedule. He's up at six. He's out the door. He's working. Maybe he's working seven, eight in the morning till four or five o'clock at night. He tries to come home. He wants to spend time with his kids or attend their sporting events. You know, and then he's got maybe some other stuff that he's got to do at night. You know, maybe he's got hobbies or things that he wants to do of his own. Like when you start to peel it back like that, you're like, damn, I'm impressed. These dudes are finding or, or these ladies are finding two to three hours a week to train at all. So what I want you to do, especially if you're a young coach, because I wish somebody would have told me this early on, start with showing some compassion, have empathy, be patient. Because not everybody is 100% on board committed from day one, right? You show them compassion. You show them some patience. And before you get frustrated with someone, just put yourself in their shoes and imagine what the rest of their day looks like. Because chances are, they're not just hanging out at, you know, the local pub watching World Cup, or they're probably not just, you know, getting manis and petties and getting a massage all day. They probably have a ton of other stuff going on that might preclude them from getting into the gym. So be conscious of that. And I think one of the most important things that you can do is be empathetic. Because if you can be empathetic, if you can try and understand where they're coming from, it expedites your rapport building. It expedites your ability to build a relationship. And ultimately, it's going to improve your ability to have success with that client or athlete. So that's number one. Put yourself in their shoes. Number two, this is another one that I screwed up pretty good. Don't put round pegs in square holes. So I'm thinking back to, you know, 2003 to 2005. I was kind of getting my feet wet as a trainer, as a coach, but I was really immersed 
in the powerlifting scene. I was a powerlifter to the core. I was all about squatting, benching, deadlifting. And to take that a step further, I knew that back squatting, benching, and deadlifting were not only the best way to get strong, but they were the best way to build muscle and shed body fat. I was convinced of this. And so I remember, this is probably 2004, I was training this guy when I was in Fort Wayne, and his only goal in life was to shed body fat. He was a high-stress entrepreneur, like go-getter, type A, wanted, wanted to get that work. But he was like, I want to lean out. I got too much body fat. So what do I put him on? Just guess. I literally had this dude on a fat loss program that was built around the power lift. So he would train like three days a week and we'd have a squat day, da-da-da. I mean, you guys can see where this is going, right? Massive facepalm on my part. So can you make something like that work? Sure. Sure, you can make a program like that work. And in fact, if I did something like that now, I would maybe lead with a squat and I would change the set rep scheme. You know, I'd be working high volume. I'd be working on short rest periods. And then the rest of the workout may be focused around, you know, those alternating supersets that we all know and love. But rather than starting with a back squat, a bench press, and a conventional deadlift, you know, maybe there's an easier way to get the job done, especially early on. I think you guys have followed my career and you followed how I've done this long enough. Like not a lot of people that walk in our door now and I put a barbell back squat on their back day one. It's just not really in my wheelhouse. There's other ways to teach somebody to squat that I think are probably safer and more effective at least early on. So I would implore you, don't fall in love with a specific lift. There is no one lift that is going to fix everything that is going to give anybody the performance or the physique and aesthetic benefit that they want. There's no one lift that does all those things. Instead, you need to ask yourself, how do you want your clients to move and feel? And then you find exercises that allow them to do that. It's not about the one exercise. It's about whatever exercise works best for this specific client. And I think with that being said, something that I'm seeing now and something that really bothers me deep down in my belly is the fact that we need to find this blend of movement and meathead. And there's more on this later, but too often I see people now and it's all about sensation and are you feeling this muscle? And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There is absolutely a time and a place to feel muscle, but there's also a time where you got to crank up the intensity. And somebody's got to feel challenged. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but make it a goal to find a blend between quality movement and training like a meathead and pushing the intensity a little bit. So my ultimate plea here is this, find exercises that allow them to not only move well, but move often for maximal results. And this is one of the things, shameless plug here, that I'm going to make a huge emphasis in my complete course certification is we're going to break down all the exercise patterns. I'm going to give you progressions and regressions for everything, but you got to find the exercise that's of highest progression that they can do with good technique that you can also push them on with regards to loading and or, you know, whatever training variable you're pushing, but you got to chase some intensity. All right. So that's number two. Don't put round pegs in square holes. Number three, Slow and steady wins the race. So big story here. I'm thinking back to 2008. Bill Hartman and I have just opened iFast. 
and a young guy named Chris has come into our gym. Now, Chris, when he walks in, is approximately 420 pounds. So he is a big dude. Like, there's just no way around it. He's a big, heavy guy. And he had set a goal for himself when he walked into our gym that he wanted to lose 100 pounds in his year with us. He wasn't sure. He thought he was going to get a job somewhere else, but he was going to commit to a year. All right, perfect. So he wanted to lose 100, but his big goal was to lose over 200. So he wanted to go from 420 down to 220 pounds before he stopped losing weight. And this guy was really fun. He was a former athlete. He played football. And this guy, he loved working out. He would absolutely crush himself in the gym. Anything that we could give him, he would do. And man, this guy would walk out. He would just be dripping with sweat, you know, like dragging himself out of the gym. And frankly, I don't know how he went on with his day because he worked out at six in the morning and he had such intensity, such veracity. Like, I don't know how he worked at a desk from eight or nine until 5 p.m. that night. He had to be exhausted. But one thing that I learned working with Chris was that if you want to be really successful with a really big long-term goal like this, you got to have the training and the nutrition dialed in. So a couple points that I think are really salient here. Number one, you're not going to lose 100 pounds overnight, right? You're just not. Like 100 pounds is a sizable goal. You got to break that thing down. You got to make it smaller. You got to make it more tangible. And maybe you're going to say one to two pounds a week. You know, maybe you're going to say 30 pounds in the first three months. Like, I don't care how you break it down, but you got to break it down. You got to make it more manageable. So you don't feel that sense of overwhelm along the way. Now, here's a big truth bomb for you. You can set up and say, oh, yeah, you know, I want you to lose one to two pounds a week and whatever, whatever. But if you go four weeks and this dude hasn't lost any weight, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle maintaining their attention and getting their buy-in because short-term wins make a huge impact with adherence and getting the ball rolling. And I know nobody likes to say that. We all like, oh, you know, be patient, you know, da-da-da. That's great. And I would say that same thing. But it really, really helps if you can have some short-term wins early on. Get that momentum going, get the ball rolling, and then ultimately they're going to buy in and they will probably be a lot more adherent to everything else that you want them to do. But a real key here is that education is key, right? And what may get, in this guy's case, the first 50 pounds off may not get the second 50. So here's like a story in the story. When Chris is coming to us and probably around the six month mark, I think the dude had lost like 50 pounds. Like he was looking great. He was feeling really good. But as you all know, these things aren't linear. It's not like he lost exactly one and a half pounds or whatever per week. So we start kind of dialing things in. We're talking about nutrition. He's like, man, I just feel like I'm I'm eating all the right things. You know, I'm eating salmon for dinner. My snacks are like a protein shake and some almonds. I'm like, okay, well, let's get really serious here. Like, let's start weighing and measuring everything. And all of a sudden, you know, like a week later, he's like, dude, I lost like four pounds last week. I said, awesome, man. What changed? He says, I started weighing and measuring everything. He said, you know, instead of four or five ounces of salmon, I was having like 10. Instead of one serving of almonds, which is like 25 or 28 almonds, he's like, I was having like 70 or 80. So this guy was eating all the right things. He was just eating them in the incorrect proportion. 
all right? So to kind of bring this full circle, it's not about crushing it in the gym and then falling off the wagon. Instead, you gotta focus on long-term success and you've really gotta focus on building these habits that are gonna carry people over and through their entire lifetime, right? Short-term wins are great. If you use like the six-week detox or cleanse and that works for you and that gets people to stick around, like whatever, that's fine. But ultimately, it's about these long-term sustainable changes that we can create. And if we can instill those types of habits with our clients, then man, I think we are making a really positive change with those people that's going to last them the rest of their life. So that's number three, slow and steady wins the race. Number four, and this one may shock some of you, especially coming from me, but I'm going to say it. Number four, anything is better than nothing when it comes to working out. So I am training in-home clients. It's 2005, 2006. You know, I did my tour of duty in Fort Wayne doing the rehab thing. Jess and I are willing to do anything to get down to Indianapolis. So I take a job and I'm doing in-home training. And I'm training this gentleman who is incredibly wealthy. I mean, this dude might legitimately spend more money on cigars and wine in a year than I make. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of money that these people have. So it was interesting. I clearly remember I trained him for two or three years and pretty much every time I trained this guy, I would ring his doorbell and he would answer the doorbell with a cigar in his mouth. He, he was smoking a cigar basically every single day and I trained him at 4.30. It's not like I rolled into his house at seven, it's after dinner or whatever. Like four, 4.30 in the afternoon, this dude's smoking a cigar. And a lot of his workouts entailed walking out of his house and they lived right on this beautiful area of Indianapolis. It's called the Monon Trail. So you can just literally go and walk up and down the trail. It's outdoors, it's beautiful, you're in nature. But a lot of days, this was our whole workout. I'd get him to put the cigar out, put his training clothes on, and we'd walk outside and we'd walk up and down the Monon Trail together. And that was in the spring, summer, fall. And in the winter, you know, they had this beautiful home gym. His son was really into training. So in the winter, we would do stuff in the gym, but it was just this constant task. It, I felt like just a slave driver. I'm constantly like, okay, hey, Brian, like we got to go on to the next exercise or you got, you got to stop talking for a minute, Brian, like we got to do this now. So it was just really hard to keep him focused. And I brought this up to the, the guy who employed me at the time, Mike. I was like, man, I'm just really struggling. Like I love Brian. He's an amazing guy, but just like, I don't understand. Like, again, it comes back to the idea of not understanding, you know, where people are at in their life and their goals and priorities, because I was all about training. I love training. I, I just wanted people that, you know, wanted to be in great shape as well. So I'm frustrated. I'm not seeing the success that I wanted. And Mike kind of comes back at me and he's got this great viewpoint. He just says, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but what would this guy be doing if you, meaning me, if you didn't show up three to four times a week, you know, what kind of shape would he be in then? I had to pause for a minute. I'd never thought of it like that because I just assume, man, this dude isn't serious. He doesn't really care. He's kind of wasting my time. Like, yeah, I'm getting paid for it, but it wasn't like highly satisfactory for me or it, it wasn't like this immense feeling of pride when I would train him. But it really made me kind of reflect and think, oh, you know, I never thought of it like that. And so that kind of 
shifted my thinking as a whole. And it made me realize, you know, look, let's be real here. Not everybody wants a six pack. Not everybody wants to be the epitome of health and wellness. You know, you might train them and they're going to go have a cigar. They're going to go drink a scotch or a glass of wine. You know, not everybody is as serious about fitness as we are. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay to be, be that way, right? Like we all have our own things that make us human and that make us unique. So my advice to you here would just be always be a pro. Give your clients your best. Everybody's at a different spot in their life and, and health and wellness and, you know, body comp, all these things, you know, they mean more to some people than they do to others. They obviously mean a lot to us because this is what we do for a living. But kind of remember that anything is better than nothing. Anything that you can get out of your client on that given training day is better than them sitting on their ass at home and doing nothing. Number five, this is a big one, my friends. This could be one of the biggest keys to your success. I know I've talked about it here before, but number five is find ways to connect. And again, I'm going back to uh, my days of doing in-home training and I struggled early on. And part of it was the hours. I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but when we first moved down here, here's how desperate Jess and I were to get to Indianapolis and just kind of get out of the whole Fort Wayne thing. When I first started training down here, we moved in with her family because our condo wasn't ready to move into yet. And I would have to get up at 3.30 in the morning. I had to shower, get ready, eat my breakfast. And her house was 45 minutes from this dude's house because he lived literally on the other side of Indianapolis. So I was up at 3.30 in the morning, out the door by 4.10, 4.15, and I took my first client at 4.55 a.m. Right, like that's how desperate I was. I was willing to do that three days a week just so I could get back to Indianapolis and so I could start moving my life in the direction that I was comfortable with. So anyway, in-home early on was a real struggle. Because how does a 27-year-old kid relate to somebody that's running a multi-million dollar business or somebody that is a world-renowned physician or a housewife that, again, might spend more in a month than I make in a year? So like, how do I find these common points? How do I discuss or have discussions with these people, you know, and This is especially big deal for me because not like I grew up around money. Like my family wasn't super wealthy. You know, we we may do and never felt like I wasn't going to have a meal or something like that. We didn't have a ton of extra money. You know, and some of these people that I'm working with have two or three houses, right? You know, so I was lucky to have two cars. They had two or three houses in different states. So it, it really made me step my own game up. And, you know, I always joke around, but. I think learning to do one-on-one training is a really valuable skill because it makes you level up your communication game, for lack of a better term. You know, nothing is longer than the one-minute rest period when you're sitting in somebody else's house and you have nothing to talk to that person about. If you have nothing in common, that is the longest minute of your life. Time's about 20 or 30 minutes, all right? So a big part of the training game is finding these discussion points to help build rapport. So some of the things that I learned about in my time doing in-home, because they were things that were important to my clients, wine was a big one. You know, a lot of these people had 
very extensive wine cellars. I didn't really drink a bunch of wine at the time, but I learned to ask them about wine. And I knew enough about wine at that point in time so that we could carry on a discussion. And it made the time go by a little bit faster. Politics was another big one. Generally, people that have a lot of money are influential. They have money to give to donors and various political causes. So I learned a lot about politics and what was going on at that point in time. Jewelry may sound funny, but a lot of you know the women and some of the men were very into jewelry. So I learned about that. Hematology. One of uh, the docs that I worked with was like a world-renowned hematologist, and she flew all over the world to talk about you know blood diseases and that sort of thing. So you know these are just a couple examples, but you have to find points of discussion that are exciting for them, that get their engine going. Because what you find is sometimes if you get them going and talking about something they're excited about, all of a sudden that starts spilling over to their workout. They're giving you a little bit more energy. They got a little bit more enthusiasm for the workout. One other point that's really interesting about this is that this can be really important with athletes as well. And, you know, I know the show is about gin pop, but I've had numerous athletes that I've worked with that don't want to talk about sports. Football guys that don't want to talk about football. Basketball guys that don't want to talk about the game that was on last night. They don't want to talk about that stuff because that's what they do every day. So you have to respect that and you have to give them that distance. So you find other things, right? Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's their family. You find these, these points of discussion because when you do that, all of a sudden now it gives you a different level of rapport and it builds a stronger relationship between you and that client. So to kind of bring this one full circle, I'm going to lean on one of the most famous quotes of all time, at least in the training industry. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So my clients, when I was doing in-home, very quickly knew that I cared about them when I'm learning about topics that were important to them, that they were passionate about. And quite honestly, this was a big part of the reason that I was successful in rehab. It definitely was not my intimate knowledge of knees or backs or shoulders at that point in time. From 2003 to 2005, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing when it came to rehab. I did my best to learn, but it's not like I was some world-renowned expert. But I genuinely cared about those people. They knew that I cared about them, that I was invested in their success. And ultimately, that carried over, and that allowed them to have more successful outcomes when it came to their knees, their backs, or their shoulders. So find ways to connect. It's one of the most important things that you can do as a trainer or coach. Number six, sometimes people just want to be acknowledged. I'm reminded of a guy that we trained very early on at IFAST. When we opened the gym, we had a stocked 6 a.m. crew. And then we had Ken, who came in at seven. And Ken was a great guy. He was in the financial world. And man, somebody that I had personally trained and personally invested a ton of time and energy into. He was just a fun guy. And he went through this cool transformation where, I mean, he was a little bit, a little bit older than me, maybe by a couple years, but just, you know, a little bit soft when he came in. Man, this guy like cleaned up his diet, started training hard. Next thing you know, like his body had totally reshaped itself. You know, he's leaner, he's stronger. Man, he was just really, really a cool success story for us. Now, one of the issues came when I moved off the floor in the morning and he didn't really jive with the guy that was there in the morning. So, okay, 
you know, this isn't working. I'm going to shift. He had a lot of flexibility in his schedule. So he comes to the afternoons and the guy was really self-sufficient because again, I trained him personally for two or three years between Bill and I, this dude knew what he was doing in the gym. So what happened was in that semi-private hour, if he came in at like four o'clock, he may be on with two, three, four other people. So what happens? Well, the most self-sufficient person kind of gets forgotten a little bit or they get pushed by the wayside because they're self-sufficient. They know what they're doing. So there was one day I was in there and I was working with probably K-Dog or one of my people that I was training at the time. And this dude was crushing some push-ups. I was like, he was done. I was like, Ken, man, let's go. Like you are crushing it. It was like chain resisted push-ups. I was like, man, you really crushed that man. Went over and gave him a high five. So at the end of the session, I was done. I was walking in the office and Ken was like, Hey man, can I just talk to you for a second? I was like, sure. And he comes up and he says, like, you're not going to believe this. He was like, but I was literally going to quit the gym today. I was like, what? What? Why were you going to quit? He's like, you know, man, I love this place, but you know, I'm getting ready to move out of town. I just, I didn't feel like I was getting the same level of coaching that I had in the past. I didn't feel like, you know, I was being like just acknowledged to the same degree, but the fact that you were, you know, there cheering me on and that you were there motivating me, man, that just reminds me why I love this place. So this drives home a really big point. And don't assume that just because somebody is competent in the gym that they don't want coaching or they don't want feedback. Now, one-on-one, this may not be as big of a deal, but in a semi-private or a large group setting, this is huge, right? A lot of times we tend to forget about those really competent people. Those people that just come in, they put their head down and they do the work. Don't do that. Even if it's just an attaboy, just, hey, that's great. You know, that's all you need to do. So like a lot of times what we do is maybe I'm not coaching you during the set because you're crushing it. And I don't want to take away from, you know, your, your attention and your focus on the set. But what I will do is at the end of the set, I'm going to tell them, hey man, you did this really well. I loved how you did this. Sometimes they don't need to be corrected. If they're moving well, Don't feel the need to interject and like nitpick stuff. Hey man, you were crushing it. Like I love the way your back was set on that set of squats. Or I loved your elbow position and how you kept your knuckles under the bar when you benched. Whatever the case may be, right? If it looks great, let them know. Acknowledge it. Praise them. That's all they want. So don't let anyone feel like they're not being seen. Like we all know, even for me and little kids, right? When, you know, somebody's ignoring you, that's like the worst feeling in the world. So don't ever let that happen to one of your clients in your gym. Make sure that they feel acknowledged, that they feel like they're being seen. And sometimes it's just the old school at a boy or at a girl. That's all they need to feel like, hey man, this person truly cares. Number seven, don't be afraid to challenge them. And I'm excited about this one because we have this a lot. We have clients that have hit their body comp goals. They started with 20 or 30 extra pounds. They didn't want. They have lost that weight. And then it's time to find another goal, right? In our case, and you know, you go back to my show with Craig Rasmussen, a lot of times, what do we do? We move them into a strength-focused sport like powerlifting. The example I always use is just because you hit a goal, right? Hey, you lost that 20 pounds. You, you got the physique that you want. Awesome. You don't just stop training, right? It's not like you cancel your gym membership go back to your house and start watching Netflix. (laughs) You know, that's not how it works. So this is a really important thing. Once you've hit a goal, you have to find another goal. You have to find another way to challenge them. And 
this is something that I see a lot in our industry. It's something that people have, you know, vilified me for in the past, I think unjustly, because do you want somebody to move well? Yeah, of course. I want them to squat well. I want them to lunge well. I want them to do a clean push-up. Do you care about their well-being? Of course, right? If you didn't care about their well-being, you wouldn't be a coach. But one of the worst things you can do with any client or any athlete is underwhelm them early on, right? Just because you, you care about movement quality, just because you want them to move well and you want them to do so in a safe manner, doesn't mean you don't want to challenge them when they're in the gym. So again, this comes back to this rule. And this is my rule for my clients and athletes. I'm always going to try and find in that first session or two, the most advanced exercise variation that they can safely load. And then I'm going to push them on that in the gym, right? So maybe somebody can't back squat. That's okay. doesn't mean they necessarily have to like heels elevated plate squat either, right? Find an exercise variation that they're comfortable with, that they can do with an acceptable level of technique so that you can push some intensity in the gym, challenge them. That's my goal to you, or that's my challenge to you, is to find ways to sufficiently challenge your new clients in the gym. Find that flow state where they are sufficiently challenged and they're working to dial in their technique and they can push themselves and they're working hard. Because, you know, at the end of the day, nobody wants to get bored. Nobody wants to feel underwhelmed. They're coming to you as a trainer or coach because they want probably either accountability and or they want somebody to push them in the gym. And generally it's a mix of both. So they're already there. You're holding them accountable. Now push them, challenge them, find new ways to make them work. And, you know, in the case of your older and more successful clients, you got to find new ways or new avenues to continue challenging them as they evolve under your tutelage. And it kind of rolls seamlessly into my eighth point, which is don't let your programming get stale. Please don't let your programming get stale. And I know I've been victim of this in the past. I know I have done this. But think about this for a moment. What is the absolute worst program that you have to write? If you have to write 10 or 20 programs every week, what's the worst one or the hardest one? It's the client that has no goal. The person that you've maybe trained for three or four or five years, they're kind of floating along. You know, you haven't really had like a sit down meeting with them in forever. Originally, they wanted to like lose some body fat and they did, but then maybe they put some back on, you know, like... Next thing you know, this person and you, with regards to their program design, it's just kind of drifting from month to month. No real targets, no real objectives. Like, that's an incredibly hard program to write. So sometimes it's not just about the challenge, right? Sometimes it's not about challenging them every single workout, but sometimes it's just breaking the monotony. It's keeping things fresh. And I tend to be very vanilla. A lot of times in my own programming and in the way I do things. So I love looking to our guys, whether it's Eric, whether it's Jason, whether it's Danny, whether it's Jay when he was here or Tall Dave now that he's in the gym. I love watching their exercise selection because sometimes I'll see them doing something. I'll be like, oh, that looks cool. That looks fun. You know, and it's not just I'm going to do this because they're doing it. I think where would this fit into one of my systems or one of my progressions? And then I've got something new to keep things fresh with my own clients, my own athletes, because I don't want it to get stale. 
But this is really, really important, especially for your clients that have been with you for multiple years. If you're just kind of rehashing the same year, four, five, six years in a row, they're just not going to stay forever. Even if they love you, even if you have the best relationship, at some time, at some point in time, things are going to be stale and they're going to look for something new. So I would challenge you, what new stuff can you introduce? You know, maybe it's kettlebells. Maybe if you've done a lot of strength-based stuff, can you do more athletic-based movements? Can you do some power training? Maybe you can throw in some different forms of conditioning. You know, here's a real piece of talk for you, my friend. If you're tired of programming it, they're tired of doing it. Like if you're tired of writing the same tired ass program to them time and time and time again, I guarantee you they're tired of doing it. Their adherence is going to be down. Their intensity is going to be down. They're not going to enjoy it. So you have to constantly challenge yourself to keep your own programming fresh. This, look, the longer you do this, the more important this is because the more easy or the easier it is to fall into a routine. So when in doubt, sit down, have one of these short little meetings, you know, not on gym time, not when you're in a session, but take 15, 30 minutes, you know, whether it's coffee, whether it's like a pre-planned session before their workout and just, just wrap, you know, Hey man, how are things going? What are you liking in the gym? What are you not liking? Have your goals changed? Or perhaps most importantly, is there something you want to focus on over the next 90 days? Because if you set up a session like that and you've got a very clear targeted goal for the next 90 days, your life writing programs is going to be so much easier. Their buy-in is going to be through the roof. And ultimately, both of you are going to be happier with the results. So that's number eight. Don't let your programming get stale. Last but not least, make them feel stuff. Number nine, make them feel stuff. So there was a gal one of my more recent gen pop clients that I trained at iFast a while back. And actually I didn't train her so much as I wrote her programs. And this gal was really obsessed with building her booty. You know, she wanted to build a great set of glutes. She would always say JLo booty is what she wanted. And, you know, again, while that's not necessarily my focal point, I'd like to think I can write a program that's going to build a butt if I need to. So my first thought is, okay, I'm, you know, looking at how she moves and I'm looking at her posture and man, her position needed a lot of work. You know, her pelvis was really tipped forward, you know, like her abs were really long and just not in a good position. So I start checking all these boxes in my brain, right? It's like, oh, okay, I got to reposition her pelvis. I got to get her abs turned on and blah, blah, blah. Like she didn't care about any of that, you know, she did a couple weeks and she's like, yeah, you know, I kind of feel my glutes, but. You know, her point was that she didn't feel her glutes as much as she thought she should at the end of a session. And yeah, she was moving better, but she wasn't totally sure. Like, was I addressing her goal? Her goal was to build a better booty. So when it comes to this stuff, it comes down to, are you checking boxes for yourself or are you checking boxes for your clients? And this is something that I think we're all guilty of. When we evaluate somebody, we kind of loosely listen to their goals, but in our brain, we're thinking about, okay, I want to fix this and that, and I want to improve their squat. And like, we've got our own set of boxes that we want to check for ourselves, but we got to make sure it's at least a 50-50 balance. We got to make sure that we're checking a lot of boxes for them 
so that they feel like their needs are being met. All right. So to change her program up, and I didn't really have to change a ton because I needed that first month to try and get her in a better position so she could use her glutes the way they were meant to work. But I kept my stuff in, but then we really started crushing her glutes. So we're hitting single leg hip thrusts. We're doing lateral band walks. We're making sure abs are on. So we're really getting a lot of, you know, glute med action. We're getting the lateral jump and holds. There's a take home point here, my friend. If someone wants to feel their glutes, don't just lock them down in the sagittal plane, right? Like glute bridges, hip thrusts, those are all fine and dandy, but the glutes are a big triplanar muscle. Once you've got some sagittal plane, train them in the frontal and transverse plane as well. Guarantee if they have not felt their glutes before, they will feel them the next day after you do that. But this is a really key point. Make them feel stuff. And I think there's times when you know, and I go back and forth on this because there's times we get way too caught up in sensation and, oh, do you feel this little muscle that, you know, spans a half inch of your body? Like you don't need to do that. But ultimately, whether we like it or not, a lot of clients want to feel stuff and they want to feel it in the workout and they want to feel it after the workout. And we know it's not necessarily the right thing, but there's still a lot of clients and athletes out there that think if they're not sore after a workout that they didn't get a great workout. So it's not necessarily about leaving them just crushed after every workout, but I do think there's this certain element of showing them that we've got the goods, right? So if somebody says, man, I just really want to train my glutes. Well, if I can get their pelvis underneath them and get them the abs and da-da-da, all the stuff that I want to do, but then I can actually teach them to use their glutes appropriately, and all of a sudden their glutes are sore the next day, again, buy-in is through the roof. So sensation may not be the be-all, end-all, but there is still an association between feeling a muscle or being sore and getting a good workout. You don't have to like it, but you got to respect it because it's their opinion. It's how they feel. So you don't have to pander to this all the time, but if you respect it, I guarantee you'll be more successful. So that's number nine. Now, quick recap. We will go through all nine in warp speed fashion. But number one, put yourself in their shoes. We live in a fitness bubble. They do not. Respect what they have going on outside the gym. Show some empathy. Number two, don't put round pegs in square holes. Just because it's your favorite lift doesn't mean it is their favorite lift or a lift that they absolutely have to do to see success, all right? So find the exercises, find the lifts that work best for that specific client. Number three, slow and steady wins the race. Short-term success is great. I think it improves adherence, it improves buy-in, it gets the momentum rolling. But ultimately, it's our goal to give them habits that they can use, long-standing habits that they will use the rest of their lifetime to live a happier and healthier life. Number four, anything is better than nothing. Some clients don't care about six packs. They are not gonna be the epitome of health and wellness. That's okay. If you train clients like that, be a pro. Give them your best every single day and respect the fact that they're better for having worked out with you on that day. Number five, find ways to connect. 
You have to build rapport. This is a relationship game. The more relationship currency you have with any given client, the more likely you are to have success with them. Number six, sometimes people want to be acknowledged. Your person that has been with you the longest, that's the most self-sufficient in the gym, that's the person that you cannot, you absolutely cannot forget about. You have to respect them. You have to acknowledge them. And even if it's a simple at a boy or at a girl, that alone could be the difference between them staying in your gym for another five, 10 years and then walking it out that day and finding a new trainer or coach. Number seven, don't be afraid to challenge them. Don't underwhelm your clients. Don't treat them like they're fragile little eggshells, right? Find an exercise or a progression that they can safely and effectively load. Find exercises that will challenge them. Doesn't have to be remedial correctives all day, every day. If that's what somebody needs, that's fine. But if somebody moves fairly well and they're ready to push it in the gym, take the brakes off. Let them work. Challenge them. Number eight, don't let your programming get stale. Again, your oldest, your most favorite clients, you get in those routines, you get comfortable. It's like any relationship. Don't let it happen. Find ways to keep things fresh, whether it's new implements, new strategies, new set rep schemes. Find anything that you can do to keep the training fresh. And then last but not least, make them feel stuff, right? A lot of times, like it or not, especially with the gin pop, they want to feel muscles. They want to feel sore. They want to feel like, you know, they got a good workout. And we don't have to like it. When we And we can, you know, explain to the cows come home how, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness isn't an indicator for a great workout, but it doesn't matter to some degree because that's how they associate it. They assume that if they're sore, that they got a good workout. So there is a time for them to feel muscles and there is a time to make them feel sore after a workout because ultimately it will make them feel as though you're listening to them. So my friend, this has been quite the journey that we've been on nine ways or nine tips that you can use to have more success with your gen pop clients. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you did, please take a minute, share this with a colleague, a fellow trainer, a fellow coach, anybody that you think would benefit from hearing from it. Because again, I got big goals, my friend, not only for the show, for the site, but again, I want to positively impact 10,000 trainers and coaches in the coming years. So I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I hope you enjoyed it. And we will be back soon with our next episode. Take care.